welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. Today is our first Bad on Politics episode, and we're so excited because we have our first repeat guest. Alyssa Mastermonico is here with us. Alyssa, we're so excited you're back. You guys, thanks for having me back. I feel very special. So reminder of what this is, this is our first episode of our Bad on Politics series. It's going to be a monthly bonus episode where we're joined by an expert. (gasps) That's you. Am I an expert? Yeah. You're an expert. Wow. To talk about a political topic. And so our aim is to give you the background information that you need to get involved in politics and to understand what's going on in the news. And if you missed it, check out the teaser for some of the background behind the series, which might give you a little more context. Yeah. So we have Alyssa with us today. Alyssa came on our podcast. Oh, I don't know, like six six, or seven, six months ago, probably yeah. give or take. It was chilly out. Yeah. yeah. So Alyssa is Obama's former deputy chief of staff, and she also has written two books. Um, and we just we just love you. Thank you. I mean, yeah. She's also a frequent contributor to a lot of the Crooked Media podcasts. Yes. yes. Co-host yeah. of Hysteria, which Co-host is... Co-host of Hysteria. That was crooked. a bad intro. Sorry, guys. No. Please. Everybody. Everybody knows me. Uh, no. Yeah. Busy lady. Okay. Yes. So what we want to talk about today is what the hell is going on mm. in this presidential race. Yeah. It's a real thing, isn't it? What happens next? And how do we get involved? So that's like the broad topic. Okay. But like, can you give us the background like why are there currently so many candidates is this normal okay let's start there okay (laughs) so one this so here's the thing you always end up with more candidates in whatever party doesn't hold the office right right so the last presidential you know granted you know president obama was leaving but it was you know hillary and or bernie and Hillary was such an heir apparent in so many ways that it kind of clears the field, her ability to raise money and her connections. So the Democrats obviously didn't have that big a field. But you'll remember the Republicans, I think, had 16 people in the beginning of their primary. Oh, I don't remember that. I, yeah, I actually the, do remember that. The Republicans, I think the Republicans were the first ones to have the two debates. Okay. Back to back. Um, I remember, completely I think it forgot was, all it was of like this. Eight people and eight people per stage, and the hope always, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, if you are just a citizen in America, you want those those debates to be down to one stage so that you can really gauge how these candidates do against each other. I thought the September right? debates were much easier to digest than the previous debates. Because there was only one. Exactly. And so the interesting thing is that the other thing that's contributed to, I think in total, over 22 candidates, right? Because several have dro- dropped out in the Democratic field so far. Uh, Senator Gillibrand has dropped out. de Blasio has dropped out. And then a couple. Jay Inslee dropped out. Yeah. Climate man. I love that guy. He always had green ties. Did you ever notice? No. No, I didn't. Like green for climate. Um, And then some other like kind of mediocre-ish white men. But um, the other thing that contributed is that basically everybody thinks now that because Donald Trump did it, so can they. Okay. And so one of the interesting things that I have been doing since people started announcing they were running is like, who do I think is really running because they have – the wherewithal, the smarts, the judgment, the the demeanor to be president and they really want to do the work? Or who are the people who are running because they're like, if Donald Trump did it, so can I, which to me is not a good reason to run. 
Do you think that there's also candidates in the race who aren't necessarily planning to win, but just want to get the national exposure to raise their profile? People who want to raise their profile, people who want a book deal, people who want better speaking fees on the circuit. I mean, it's it's very few people come out really diminished from the process, right? Right. So it's kind of nothing but upside for people to stay in as long as they can. I mean, if you look at someone, and this is not in judgment in any way, shape, or form, but, you know, Mayor Pete ran to be like on the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, um, to be the chairperson. And I don't think he made it to like the second round of voting. He is now a once, you know, on the main stage. And whether or not he were ever to become president, he is nothing but elevated from this whole journey that he's on, right? So that's why we have as many people as we do. So when does the field start to narrow? So I've noticed that a few people have started to drop out in advance of these debates. Yes. But like, when do we get down to a tighter race? So basically right now, in order to qualify to be on the stage for the DNC debates, the thresholds for the DNC debate have been a combination of how much fundraising you have done from how many donors so that you're considered grassroots. So say you were to raise $20 million dollars. But you only had 10,000 donors. Okay. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for like $10 million with 300,000 donors. So the $5 and $10 donations are very important in this process. Okay. Interesting. So another – so part of that is that there has been a number set for how many unique donations each candidate may have, which is why – you guys and people who are listening may have been inundated with emails that are like, just give $1. Right. Right. Can you just give $1 to XYZ candidate to keep them in the race and get them on the debate stage? Got it. That is because $1 from a new email address is a unique donation. Got it. So the last round to get into the September debate, you had to have 130,000 unique donations. Okay. And most of the people who have dropped out did not reach that threshold. Okay. Now, you don't have to drop out. So just because you don't make the debate threshold doesn't mean you have to, like, relinquish your candidacy. Okay. It's just all very cause and effect. So if you don't have that moment on the debate stage, people forget who you are. They're giving their money to the people they see and hear from all the time. So while you don't have to drop out, it's going to be pretty rare that someone misses a debate and then sort of still thrives. So now that we've had the debates, Mm -hmm. does the count of donations start over or it's cumulative across your whole campaign? Cumulative across your campaign. Okay. So if you've already donated to a campaign, you're counted in that. You are counted. Okay. That is right because your uniqueness is no longer. Okay. Okay. Um, So people have a lot of feelings about this. You know, some people have candidates that they're really passionate about who haven't made the thresholds, and they think that what the DNC is doing is sort of putting a stranglehold on democracy. Um, I don't agree with that. I really do think that we can't have, for the good of the country, for the good of the party, we can't go into the Iowa caucuses in February with 22 people crisscrossing the state. Like, I mean, to just put that into perspective – in 2004, when I was working for John Kerry, the John Kerry uh, uh, for president, I was in New Hampshire. It was John Kerry, John Edwards, Howard Dean, a couple other people, 
And there were actual traffic jams on the roads in New Hampshire because so many people were campaigning and their buses and motor, like they were actually like causing traffic jams. So imagine something like 20 people in Iowa or New Hampshire. I mean, I think we had to contend with like maybe six. Right. And it's just not, it's not feasible. You know, you start running out of places to have events. You know, like there are actual venue shortages in some of these states because of how many how many candidates there are. So everybody should watch. The next debate is in October. Um, the threshold for September, so the people who made the September debate will automatically be in the October debate. There is a chance if some candidates like a John Delaney or Michael Bennett, that if they have gotten to the 130,000 threshold, they can make the October debate. So the threshold doesn't raise. It stays the, the same. The threshold has been the same for two debates. Every, okay. So if you made the June debate, you make the July debate. If you made the September debate, you make the October debate. Okay. Um, so we will see what happens in October, but – but so after October, people have to still continue raising money to keep their campaigns, funding their state operations, their headquarters, their media buys if they're doing them. And so so for all of these campaigns, money is key. Okay. They all need money to keep going. So you have candidates like Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren. They are raising money. They are thriving. They, I do not see encountering any sort of financial hurdles to getting to Iowa and New Hampshire. But this sort of sec, the Kamala, Booker, um, Beto, Julian Castro, they all are going to have to keep really hustling and making money. And sometimes I think that one of the things that I don't enjoy about the debates is that because that social media moment is important to helping them raise money, I think that we have some like pretty hackneyed commentary and jokes on stage when people are trying to create their viral moment. And like, I'm not looking to candidates to be funny. Like, I just want them to be smart and tell us what they're going to do. So I have found some of the comedy lacking. Um, But they all need that moment so that they can get they can get more people sort of being like, oh, who is this person? Because people forget so much in the primary phase of the election. When people are coming out to a lot of these events, there is support, but there's also a lot of curiosity. You know, we never believed – I mean, people listening may remember Barack Obama had huge crowds. But what we always knew in the headquarters is that we were working for um, a junior – the junior senator from Illinois who was an African-American man whose middle name was Hussein. And back in 2007, that was different. And so we always knew that there was as, there were as many people coming out because they wanted him to be president as there were people curious yep. about what he had to say and who weren't there because, um, because they were already supporting him. I find the same with Elizabeth Warren, that she's having huge crowds. A lot of people are saying they're just like diehard Warren fans. And some people are like, what's her deal? Yeah. And they're going out to see. And the truth is, most times, if you go to someone who is smart and charismatic, you do walk away charmed. You know, you do walk away sort of floored by how smart they are, how they can communicate or or how they can't in some some cases. But so I think the – the field stays pretty steady with the people in the sort of the second and third tiers just trying to like keep making money, keep hanging on. I do think you'll probably see some separation as the people with more money are able to sort of do more, be more places and sort of have that real feel of like hustling. You know, like Elizabeth Warren is always running. Bernie is always doing 
a town hall. Like, and everybody has their different tactics. You know, EW has been doing big sort of rally events the past couple of weeks, which are very exciting and fun to watch and like very energetic. Bernie has been doing a lot of town halls. And you guys may have seen the sort of viral moment he had with the veteran in Nevada. He was at a town hall and a veteran stood up and said that he had advanced Huntington's disease, that he had a hundred thousand plus in debt, and why sort of what was Bernie gonna do about it? And Bernie, who is always sort of seen as this like sort of gruff, grumpy. I mean, he was taken aback. He definitely had like a, an emotional reaction to this man, which then people were like, oh my God, like Bernie has a heart. Not like I don't think Bernie has a heart, but he's just like not someone who you see get very like emotional on the trail. And then there's Joe Biden, who is also, you know, leading all the national polls. Now, a thing to remember about polling, I don't believe in polling. I think if you are someone who is interested in politics and wants to kind of cut through the shit. Something that I do that I enjoy is I follow local newspapers on Twitter. So like the Des Moines Register, the Manchester Union Leader in New Hampshire, they are a good indication of what people in the states who are seeing these candidates the most are thinking. And so I find that better than watching like MSNBC or reading a lot of national polls. Because one thing to remember, if you are interested, if you see polls um, at night when you're watching like your evening news, there is like, I mean, I'm always like, what do these even mean? Because if you read the footnotes on some of these polls, they're a sample size of 400 people. You know, this is not like, like I know growing up when I would hear a poll, I thought all of America had been polled. Right. No, a lot of these are very small. You don't know the, you don't know what communities necessarily they've polled. You don't know geographically where they've polled. And so also like a lot of polling happens over the phone. I don't pick up any number. Correct. I don't know. And so and the other thing then is too, is that and this is not discounting in any way the success that Joe Biden is seeing. But people in America have heard of Joe Biden. He was vice president for eight years. So a lot of people who aren't in Iowa and New Hampshire who haven't had these people crisscrossing their front doorsteps all the time have not had the same exposure that someone who watches cable news all day has had or who sees these these candidates in their VFW halls every weekend. So if someone calls somebody in, you know, the somewhere in the middle of Utah, they may not have heard of any of these people. They may have heard Bernie Sanders because he ran against Hillary and had quite a profile. And they've probably heard of Joe Biden. So all things equal, if you are a Democrat who's being polled and your number one priority is beating Donald Trump and you're asked, who do you think can beat him? Well, you think Joe Biden is a very sincere and obvious answer. Mm-hmm. Right. So but but that's why I think that if you have a candidate that you're passionate about, don't be deterred by the polls. Don't think that your person necessarily has no chance because of polls. You can you really need to like follow them and then follow more like local people, organizers in the states to see what's what and who's resonating and like what people are saying. Okay. Well I'm curious. So you mentioned a separation between a top tier of candidates. Mm-hmm. And the rest, like, it doesn't sound like the current front runners necessarily are going to stay the front runners. But like, when do we get to the point where it's like, I feel confident that like, it's one of these five people. So in order to compete the way people will need to compete in Iowa and New Hampshire, so you're going to start seeing some things. You're going to see people who, because of the expense in playing in some of these states and buying media, don't forget part of the Iowa, part of part of Iowa is the Chicago media market, which is very expensive. New Hampshire is actually Boston media market, which is also expensive. So for people to really compete, they're going to have to start making choices. 
And things are going to be very different this election than they were last election. So for example, early voting in states, before any of these candidates get to uh, part New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, which everybody knows to be the early states um, that vote in primary for or vote in caucus first, Carolina, uh, uh, California is going to have early vote ballots that are out. So people are going to have to choose. So for example, this is completely hypothetical. If you are Kamala Harris and you are from California, you have a good chance of doing really well in California, which has a lot of delegates, which matters. Or maybe you're not polling great coming into the caucuses. Do you spend all your money and time in Iowa or do you decide to camp out in California? So these are all the kinds of decisions that people are going to have to make. Someone like Beto. Beto comes from Texas. Texas has a lot of delegates. You know, more than ever before, I think the delegate counting is going to matter. So if you look back years years past, basically, you had a couple candidates who went into Iowa and New Hampshire strong. They always call it getting a ticket out of Iowa. Okay. So if you have come out of Iowa in top three, essentially, you usually raise a lot of money. You're seen as a real contender going into New Hampshire. And then you go into New Hampshire. And again, it's usually the top three. And if those top three are in sync, those are probably the top three that are going to be going on strong through. If they're very different, if you have, if you had something like Bernie Biden and Warren coming out top three in Iowa, but then in New Hampshire, Mayor Pete, Beto, and Amy Klobuchar came out top three, that means you you have about six, you know, you have you have twice as many people who are going to kind of keep trying to get to the next States. So after the first couple primaries, we'll have a sense of who those top three are. And while somebody might come up, like probably a lot of people right. may drop out. Yes. Okay. So you will remember, people don't actually remember this. It was shocking, but this is why people can never, like, it always comes down to the people on the ground who are doing the actual voting and caucusing. Most people do not remember that in 2008 in the Iowa caucus, Barack Obama came in first, which most people did not expect. It was John Edwards who came in second, and Hillary came in third. Okay. So that was very unexpected. Like, these things can happen. And it was very close, if I remember, between the three of them, but still. And then we go to New Hampshire, and Hillary comes in first. Obama comes in second. And I don't even remember who came in third. But you can see how that sets it up for this, like, really long, drawn-out contest. And something going back again to when I was in on John Kerry's campaign in 04, John Kerry was mathematically, numerically the nominee for the Democratic Party by like late March. Barack Obama was the nominee in June. Hillary Clinton got the nomination in 2016, also in June. I mean, most of the Democratic primaries have gone to the final ones, which are usually like Guam, Puerto Rico, Guam, Puerto Rico, I forget what the other ones were. But they've run it through, they have, they've all had to run through the tape and yep. all of the primaries have mattered and they've had to campaign basically everywhere. So I think for us, we'll see the field. I think there'll be a big shift after Iowa. Okay. Because I think a lot of people who want to be viable have to show something in Iowa. That's what I think. So like if you have 10 people in Iowa, if you're bottom three, you're out. You're you've you because all of the money that's in the Democratic Party is most likely not going to go to the bottom three, right? Yeah. And so at that point, you really start building your the war chest for go for who's going to make it into the general election. So that is where I think you will start to see thinning February March. 
Okay. Uh, so this is maybe a stupid question. There are no stupid questions. I think there are, but I'm going to ask them. Uh, okay, go. No. <laughs> so is the point of the primary process just to whittle down the candidates, or is there some bigger purpose to the primaries? Like, how do the primaries work? What What is it supposed to do? So it's supposed to give everybody a say. Okay. So, right, all there are primaries in all of the states, and it gives everybody a chance in the Democratic Party or Republican Party, respectively, to say to to register who they want to represent the party. Okay. Right? And it is because it is a math game, it is meant to whittle. Okay. Like it is meant to guide every to get all of the input from all the states and whether it's a caucus or a primary and get to the person who hopefully, because they are the person, is the strongest one to take on whoever the Republican is. So why is Iowa and New Hampshire first? Like, they're always first. Like, how – why it's are they important? It is. Oh, there's no it's reason. It's how it is. Okay. It's, they were, they've always been first. People have tried to challenge, you know, a lot of, like, some of the early voting that's starting before these um, – these the caucus and primaries happen is seen as a bit of a challenge to the old way of life. A lot of people object to, to such predominantly – white states yeah. having such influence um, early on. So basically the primaries start in February and yeah. run through June. Yeah. And then Iowa and New Hampshire are kind of the first two. So those, those are, the, are the most two. important. Those are the – yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the most important. Like historically, historically, they, yeah. have, been, they okay. have been instructive. Okay. And Iowa is February 3rd? Yes, yeah. February 3rd. And okay. then when's New Hampshire? Like the week after. Okay. 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 <laughs> Usually they change it. So they keep changing it. So I've never had it. You'd think it was maybe on the same day. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's not. It's so confusing. So every campaign I've done, Iowa, I mean, I think once, I think on the Kerry campaign, Iowa caucuses were like January 3rd. They were like right after the new year. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Iowa is the third and New Hampshire is the, the 11th. Oh, okay. yeah. See you a week. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Sorry, I just had to look that up. No, I, I appreciate people should know. Yeah, what to look for. Okay, so I have a dumb question. So you, no more <laughs> dumb questions. These the are whole, not dumb the questions. The whole point of the series is to ask the dumb questions, to ask the background questions that I don't know. So when I watch the news, I know the answers. To All right, them. fine. But yes. let's just uh, let's sti- simple, let's stipulate s- anybody who has these questions is not stupid. I think way more people have these questions. That's my than point. Don't. So I don't want to alienate our people. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we know that like following the now I'm going to start following all these local papers. Yeah. But what's the best way would you say to learn about the platforms of each candidate? Because they have their websites. There's the debates. We we both watch the debates, and I feel like we both learn quite a bit watching the debates. But it's just there's so many, and yes. there's so much information. Is there like I don't know. I, I know there's no cheat sheet, and the, you, you just got to do the work and like read up. But you do have to do the work and read up. So the first thing I think that everybody probably has a few people that they are interested in, right? I don't mm-hmm. think the average bear is out there being like all ten. What am I going to do? So I think <laughs> like you whittle it down to the people who've piqued your interest, okay. right? I do think going to websites is helpful. In that, I think it's interesting to see, like, some candidates up until a while ago barely had policy sections on their websites. So I do think, you know, someone like I, – I am 
not going to lie. I'm very attracted to all of Elizabeth Warren and her plans. I love someone who's like, you don't have to listen to me. Like, here it is in writing, Mm -hmm. right? And here is a plan for anything you could have a question about for the most part. That's very helpful. And they are written in ways that are not meant to confuse you, which for me, I mean, I am not a policy wonk. I will be the first person to say, this is a stupid question when I'm in a policy meeting. Um, And they're always like, there are no stupid questions. I'm like, no, this is dumb. Just like you guys just did. And so I wish that as part of the DNC process that there were actually some policy specific debates. Yeah. Because I think that it's really hard to compare people's opinions when watching the debates because you're essentially, you have to parse what is a reasonable question and what is meant to grab ratings for whatever network is hosting the debate. Well, one question I have about going to their website is how do I ascertain feasibility of any of these policies? Because like Elizabeth Warren could say, I think we should put a Chili's on the moon. And I could be like, sure, that seems so like something we should do. So this is this is a something Even that's very chilies. specific to me and how yeah. I feel. I'm not telling everyone that they should do this. But having worked in government for many, many years and politics, what I know is that even the most aspirational plans largely get ground down by the bureaucracy of the federal government and the checks and balances of our system, i.e. Congress. So and I'm not bummed out by that. Like, I actually think that those the members of Congress and the Senate represent their districts and the people's will. And so I do think that there it is good that there is back and forth and compromise because I no more want to have Donald Trump telling us having these fiats and these edicts and these things that he's I, I, I would like it to get back to a place where there is some give and take. Not I'm not telling everyone I want compromise. I don't want people tweeting at me. But I think that very aspirational plans are good if they're very thoughtful. Like I do think there's a bit of a difference between looking at like some of the policy plans we've seen from some of the candidates and say like, you know, Andrew Yang's give a thousand dollars to everybody. Like I don't actually understand how that that's a one I have a hard time understanding right. kind of like how it works. But to use healthcare as an example, mm-hmm. when somebody says I'm for universal healthcare, right. they they might that might be their starting point and right. then that gets whittled down. So it's not actually about is universal healthcare feasible. It's just like I'm starting over here so that after the give and take, I end right. up closer to here than towards that's, our current system. And so for me, yeah, and like for me I, to me, when someone says they are for Medicare for all, Mm -hmm. I take that to mean they believe healthcare is a human right. Okay. And so I would like all of my candidates to believe healthcare is a human right. Like we have gotten too far. We are so, the US is such an embarrassment compared to the rest of the industrialized and not industrialized world that like I just if if a candidate can't put forward to me that they think healthcare is a human right I have a problem with that so I don't need people to necessarily say medicare for all I need them to make clear that they believe healthcare is a human right. So basically, if I'm understanding this, we're kind of like everyone's on a sliding scale and we're figuring who sits where yes. on which issues and less like here are the particulars, maybe with the exception of Andrew Yang, who has like a very specific, very specific thing that he's trying to do. Still makes it a little hard for me. Sure. But so we're saying like when somebody is saying, I want Medicare for all, that yes. means healthcare is very important to them more so than it's like this person is going to be able to implement Yes. A Medicare for all system. And I actually have some really great people on social media who I think are very impartial and just for the facts. And um, do you guys follow Jessica Yellen? 
I just started following her yesterday. So Jessica Yellen, for many years, I knew Jessica from Washington, D.C. when I lived there. She was a CNN reporter for a long time. She decided to strike out on her own. And she now has this incredible Instagram account and an Insta story that she does pretty much daily that breaks down. She calls it separating the news from the noise. Mm -hmm. And nobody has covered more elections or knows more about Washington than Jessica. And she is really a tremendous resource. Jessica really breaks things down. She doesn't talk down to her audience in any way, but she gives very actionable information to help you decide what you want to think. Okay. Okay. So I think Jessica Yellen is a great resource. I also think that there are a lot of really wonderful podcasts out there. Mm -hmm. So when a very skilled interviewer gets time to sit down and ask questions for an hour of someone and there's not the screaming back and forth on the stage but the interviewer does understand all the other candidates platforms you get some really good interviews so crooked media pod save america has done interviews of all the candidates i think mm-hmm. at this point hour long they're standalone pods so you can actually search them by candidate and like go check them out i think that they have been very like not eat they've been very understandable but also very thorough mm-hmm. um interviews And then I will, I can actually get your reader, your listeners a list. I would love that. Oh, that would be amazing. Post that are helpful resources. I would love that. For breaking things down because honestly, a lot of what you see on the nightly news is just, it's very confusing, even for me. And it's like, and you never know when people are commenting, like, most people are paid contributors to cable news because of some other job or position they've had, which gives them a very distinct point of view. Right. And you may not know that. You may not know the backstory like someone like me does. So mm-hmm. I discount a lot of what some of these people say, Democrat and Republican, yep. because I know their history. But for people who don't do that as a torturing you know, device, they, they don't know. So we can help them find some good people to follow who will make them feel smart, they can talk about what they know at the office, but also just, you know, be able to make the decision they want so that they can pick who they want. The one thing I'll tell, like I always tell people, choose who you feel passionately about. And don't care if your friends think the same or the news thinks the same or Twitter thinks the same. Like in this part of the process, I just think it's really important for everybody to express how they feel. So like, for example... Here in New York, you guys will remember Cynthia Nixon ran for governor against Andrew Cuomo. Now, most people would say, of course, Cynthia didn't have a chance to beat him. It's not the point. And that's not why people were excited by her. She brought different issues to the forefront of that campaign. She talked about um, reforming incarceration, about not just making weed legal, but an equitable industry, expunging records. Like she talked about things that may not have been part of that race had she not entered it. And so the fact that people supported her gave the platform to those issues. So that's why if you are someone who really like you're only you're a single issue voter and you just give a shit about guns, give Beto money. Like Beto is really like he is he that is the hill he is going to die on. And when people say to him, you guys may remember after the shootings in Texas, he said, I want uh, AR-15s and AK-47s off the streets. I want to go get them. And people, Democrats even, attacked him and were like, what are you doing? You're like blowing up you know, any hope we have. I don't know if you guys saw it today, but Colt is no longer manufacturing AR-14s, 15s. I always forget which one it is. Because they're just like, the demand is down. We support the Second Amendment. But like, don't discount Beto's 
influence in that. And so that's why I just want everybody to sort of support who they want to and feel good about it and learn. And because like sometimes those people supporting Beto are really elevating the gun topic, you know, his, his sort of absolutist view on what should happen with guns, I don't think is a bad thing. Okay, let's use the last like 10-ish minutes to talk about participation. Okay. So I guess the most obvious way to support a candidate is with money. Yes. What are the pros and cons to donating now or later? Because one thing that I have concerns about is if I want to support a candidate that's on the lower Mm -hmm. polling side, even though we don't know how much stock to put into polling, it's like, is that a waste of money? Because are they going to make it? So like, do I donate now? Do I wait until the field narrows and then pick between three? Okay. So I think donating is definitely one way to participate, Mm -hmm. right? But there are other ways. And there shouldn't be barriers to entry for people wanting to participate in politics. And a lot of people feel like if they don't have money to donate, that there's no place for them in the process. Right. So one thing, as we talked about before, you can donate a dollar. You can donate $5. And so if you, Becca, have three or four candidates that you're really interested in, give give each one of them $5 one time. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, lay the marker down. It gets you on their email list. You'll never be able to hide from them again. Oh, I know. But oh, they, yeah. But not everything has to be, you know, people think money in politics that it's like, I have to give $100 or $200. No, you can give a dollar. You can give $5. It's actually how Bernie built his people-powered movement, the revolution in 2015 and 2016. Um The other thing is there are so many tools online now. You can find uh, candidate groups. So most websites or most like tools, like a lot of the campaigns have tools on their website for meeting people in your area who are interested in the same people that you are and they have house parties and you can go and talk to people and sometimes they'll send campaign staff or local representative to like come and talk to you about what's happening in your area. That is a great way. Most campaigns will have something in your area for you to sort of go to at some point soon. With 20 candidates, they're blanketing the country. Yeah. But also something that's very different that has that has been sort of a revolution in the past couple of years is that you can be here in Williamsburg and you can actually make calls in other states for people. Okay. So I want to talk about volunteering. So I, I want to know how you get involved in a campaign, but then also – Canvassing and cold calling people sounds like my absolute nightmare. Same. Are there other ways to to volunteer other than those two things? Yes. Okay. Yes. So there are a lot of things. So okay, same good. with me. Same with me. Canvassing. Oh God, I hate talking to no, strangers. But, no, but here's the thing. There are some people who love talking to strangers and whose passion overrides their introverted feelings. That's mm-hmm. so awesome. Right? Yes, it is. We're gonna I, like it's so awesome. People. I can't identify, but I think it's so awesome. No, so here, here's the thing. I wish you can I was do. like that. If you're really into someone, post about them on your Instagram account, tweet about them, tweet stories, share good articles that you find on Facebook. Like that is a very valid, important way to participate in the process. Um, you can find local groups. Like, I mean, we had in 2007, we had every sort of group for Obama. There were like Brooklyn artists for Obama, you know, like moms for Obama, like Brooklyn moms for Obama. And so 
those people get together, they talk about what they're seeing, what they're hearing, and come up with like actionable things in their community that they can do. Maybe, Becca, you can go to the farmer's market and you can sit at an adorable table with a button on and a clipboard and you can help register people to vote. Oh, sure. I could do that. Right? Mm -hmm. So even there are ways to participate in this process without having to actually even support a candidate. You can go out and register people to vote. Those people talk to you. You're going to find out what people are thinking, what they're feeling. Maybe it's going to inform what you think. Maybe you're Mm going to find a candidate based on talking to someone who's really passionate about someone. But like just participating in the process sometimes is the point of entry for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, for the midterms, I signed up to be a poll worker. Oh, I love that. I wanted to be one of the people. So you check people in. In New York that like, okay, you're in this district, you're in this precinct, come over here, here's your name. They did not need me. They had so (laughs) much enthusiasm. And I signed up, I submitted my application about a month before the election. And there was so much enthusiasm that they, I I didn't even get called, even though I submitted it. So how do you do these things. So I imagine if you Mm. want to volunteer for a specific candidate, you just go to their website and there's a form. You go to their website. There's usually a button that says get involved. Mm -hmm. And it'll give you options like contribute. Do you want to have a lawn sign, you know, like on your lawn that says this is who I support? Yeah. I didn't even think of that because I don't, we don't have lawns. Of course you don't have lawns. Um, I have a patio kind of. Yeah. I wonder if I could put one on there. Someone will steal it. Yeah. (laughs) It'll be too delicious to resist. I mean, I don't have a candidate yet, but I'm getting there. Well, right. So you can, so also you can look for your local Democratic club or party and you can go there and join meetings and see what people are doing. A lot of those Democratic parties host events that candidates come to. So by getting involved in your Democratic, your like local Democratic committee, you will learn about when they're coming to your town or your city or your neighborhood and be able to meet them there. So they're just like, I never want people to close off what they think it means to participate. It does not mean you have to give money. It does not mean the only way to participate is to canvas, though it is a very fulfilling way to participate. But that's, I just, you know, especially like young people, young women, when I talk to them, they're always like, you know, I want to get involved in politics, but and I'm like, you don't have to quit your job to be involved in politics. Being involved in politics can mean everything from just getting out to vote to registering people. You can you can offer to drive people to the polls. You can you can sign up to make sure your elderly neighbors don't need a ride. I mean, that is some some people in their neighborhoods, their job on behalf of a candidate is to go door to door, make sure nobody needs a ride on election day. What if I have specialized skills? So, I mean, this isn't do you? Do you? What are your skills? <laughs> All sorts of things. I'm asking for other people. Knitting. If I were a graphic designer, for instance, or if I were, I don't know, like, can you apply those? Like, can you work in a campaign in your specific area of expertise, not for a paid basis, but just volunteering? So I would imagine there are those opportunities out there. And what you can do is on most of the pages where you can say, get where it says get involved, you will put in your name, your phone number, your email address, which they probably already have. Mm-hmm. And then it'll say, I want to... I want to, and sometimes there's a drop down bar, and it'll give you things, and then sometimes you can describe sort of what you you're can good put in at. Other, yes, okay, you can put in other, and so that's a great way to do it. If you say I'm a graphic designer and I have two hours a week to donate, right? You know, I think also when you're submitting things online, it's very good to be as specific as possible. So, like, if you say I just want to help, that's hard for 
a young person on the other end of that email to suss out what to do with you. Right. Yeah. Right. So be as specific as you can and, and say what you, I'd like to host a house party. I'd like to lead a canvas. I would like to host a table at my farmer's market. Just be really specific. And, you know, if they can't use you, shame on them. But usually that really helps them direct your email or your inquiry mm-hmm. to a person who can, who can, like execute on it. Right. So last question. I know Mm. we are trying to stay out of opinion land and trying to be pretty objective, but I have an opinion question for you. What is the one issue that you think is not getting enough press coverage? Oh, reproductive rights. What the fuck? Yeah, the debates. That didn't come up once. It hasn't come up. So this is something that I Is that intentional? I was so curious. So, you know, look, again, when you look at these televised debates – the sexy questions that get everyone all riled up, guns, healthcare, you know, by and large, they're not talking a ton about climate, right? Mm-hmm. And so the thing that is such a downer is that Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who has, if you are a woman, let me tell you right now, she has had your back since the day she got to Congress. She has been fighting campus sexual assault. She's taken on the military and she made paid family leave and issues of reproductive uh, choice, the the centerpiece of her campaign. And now that she has dropped out, those are not those issues are getting no play whatsoever. Um, she also stood up. She also made trans rights, LGBT. I mean, she really was someone who was kind of fighting for the people who aren't always invited to the cool kids table. You know, I guess that being white straight men, but. Um, but no, so I think that, that those issues are ones that we're just not really hearing much about right now. And I think it's because by and large, like most of the candidates agree that women should have reproductive choice right. and like reproductive health care. So they're not bringing it up. But the problem is there is still like – it's a problem. It's not being talked Sexual about. discrimination, yeah. all kinds of discrimination are problems. And so it's not getting – it's not getting enough – not getting enough play. Yeah. So if you care about reproductive health care or any – if you're hearing issues, if you're not seeing issues you care about, tweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tweet. Be like, where is this? And, you know, try to tag – if if you're watching a debate and you're not seeing the issues that you want talked about, tweet, tag the debate. They always have a hashtag. And, like, try to tweet at the com- – at the at the member, the the candidate that you want to hear from, because here's the thing that is totally fascinating. These social media teams are so, I mean, back in 2004, I think we called it new media. That's what we did on the Kerry campaign. We had new media Mm -hmm. and it was three or four people. And now huge swaths of each campaign are dedicated to the social presence of each candidate. So a lot of times if you're out there tweeting, someone may see what you're doing if you're tagging people and saying what you want to hear more about. And using the right hashtags too. And you try to use the right hashtag hashtags that are trending that you know yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be cruising mm-hmm. during debates and things like that. That helps too. Alyssa, I learned so much today. Did you? Seriously, did. thank you so much. Good. Can, can I mean, you tell the people where they can follow you so that if they want more? Sure. If you want commentary from my cat Midge during all the debates, <laughs> you should follow Alyssa Mastro 44 
uh, on Twitter. And then on Instagram, I'm Mastro175. And we do some commentary. Are you still private on Instagram? Yeah, but I go through, everyone should know, I go through every couple of weeks and I accept everyone who doesn't look like they're going to do me harm. Okay. Okay. I'm always nervous to try and follow someone private because I'm like, oh, well, they don't know me. So, no, I tend to go to someone's page. I mean, I really spend a lot of time on this because I do want to keep my account private because largely it's so – it's a very positive place. Nobody leaves hateful comments. People can leave questions and the other people who follow me don't leave shitty answers or replies. They know it's kind of like a – ask a stupid question. Yeah, That should be the whole point. And so I do go through and if you have – if you look like a bot or I have to tell anyone who's listening, if you just have an egg, (laughs) if you have the gray egg – I probably think you're shady. Yeah. Just put a picture of a flower. Do something. You know what I mean? Because the egg is like, "Mm, I don't know. But yeah, Yeah. I do go through and try to accept as many people as I can. And when people tweet at me questions, I try to answer them. I go through my mentions as much as I can because I do get a lot of questions like the ones you guys have asked me. You always reply. Even before I knew you, you replied to me. So thank you. I just think that like when people – if people come to me, if they're looking at my my feed – they're coming for something. Yeah. You know, like they want to know something. So I want to try and give people that information. Not like I'm a fucking genius. Like I'm not sitting here trying to tell you guys I'm a fucking genius. I've just been through it and I'm basically a very hardworking person who's not a genius. So I feel you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, guys. And if you, as you go out through, if you go, as you go through your bad on politics, if people ever have questions just send them to me and I will try to get you smart answers that you can share. Amazing. Thank so, you so much. You bet. We'll be back next month with another bonus episode on politics. So if you have feedback or if you have questions, send them to us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast or shoot us an email, badonpaperpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.